0: Hi, I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, part of the dynamic duo known as Julie and Lisa, who bring you our regular podcast. This is our speaker series edition where we borrow guests from the home group AA Solution Seekers online. Please enjoy. A Solution Seekers would like to welcome Greg. Come on in, Greg. Hey, y'all. Greg S. C. alcoholic. What an honor to be here this morning and uh, share my story. I, uh, I certainly am an alcoholic. I, uh, I do have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. I have sponsees, and I try to apply the principles of this program in, uh, in my daily life. And I hope that, that I'm able to share my experience with, uh, with many of you, that you can find some piece that you relate to and go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm an alcoholic too. So obviously I have something I can relate to that guy. but um, I'm uh, just kind of rambling at the start, right to let the let the jitters kind of get through At seven oh eight. I had this wave of anxiety washed through my body and then uh, and then I kind of talked to myself and looked down at the clock and it was seven oh nine. And that anxiety wash had already went through, right? I thought it through. What's the next right thing? Greg? is being nervous in front of a bunch of friends. The, the next right thing to do is worrying if they're gonna like you. The best next right thing to do is worrying, uh, oh man, hitting the and hitting the button to accept that this was being recorded, right? That was a moment for Greg to have to work through. Greg's been working through the recording piece for the last couple of weeks with the ego. It's real hard for me not to tell my friends that I'm being recorded. They're going to put it on a podcast, right? Think, things like that are special to me now. But because I'm aware of it, I'm able to function in the day-to-day norm, um, sometimes by laughing at myself, but uh, but also by like, keeping keeping it real, keeping what it's all about, trying to keep forming my, some of my humility with me as I go day to day trying to help myself by helping others. So um, I'll give you guys the uh, the Cliff Notes version to bring you up to speed when we talk about what was it like. Um, I grew up as an adopted child. I was born in the the fields of Arkansas to parents with fourth, fifth grade educations. uh, It was a hidden baby that nobody was supposed to know about. And nobody did know about it. The family was able to keep this one under wraps and uh, put it into the, the adoption system pretty quick. And so my parents, they had uh, transferred from Indiana to move to Arkansas to claim one year of residency to be in the state of Arkansas so they could possibly uh, adopt a white male. Uh, I guess white males were top shelf back then and there was no getting those babies uh, without a bunch of corruption. And uh, Arkansas was the one state that they found. So they went through a lot of effort to get their lives transplanted up to where there was no corruption and no money and they could Cause my dad wanted a white male. Oh. Well, he got one. All right. And, uh, their marriage didn't last. And by the time I was two, I was, it was just me and my mom bounced around in Indiana. Uh, things just weren't working out. Nobody could really keep track of Greg. I wasn't a bad kid. There was just too much other life going on for other people and I was placed out in a children's home called the Masonic Home and School of Texas. And uh, this was a wonderful place for me to land. It was kind of scary at first, you know. But then I realized, well, there's 160 kids in the situation just like me. Um, you know, once you kind of get over the, the initial uh, trauma of homesickness, From a place that you didn't really have a place to begin with but you're still homesick for it right it's kind of weird and twisted but I settled in pretty good and uh and I was able to be all that I could be I learned that uh I never tried to fit in but I always worried about if I fit in right I never took the effort to fit into this crowd or that crowd. But I was always worried why I didn't fit into this crowd or why I didn't fit into this crowd or worried if I did fit in this crowd or this is my crowd, but do they just accept me because <laughs> they accept me, right? But I did learn that if I really started applying myself and uh, tried hard, I could achieve a lot of things. And it made me think that people liked me better, right? So uh, I'm 6'3", 250 pounds, when. Texas high school football, right? I was a friggin' beast. I've got all kinds of trophies, boxing, golf. There's the yearbook editor. I was the valedictorian of my class. I was the the school president, right? I was that guy. And I was doing it intentionally, right? It was a manipulation game that I can look back on now. When I look at my side of the street, thanks to my sponsor and thanks to this program, and I go back and look at my life, Greg achieved all of those things because he wanted to. And what I want to do, I can usually do. uh, Because I'm a schemer and a scammer and a flim flammer, right? I can get that last beer out of the cooler. But I can also get achievements or make you think, correction, make me think that you like me. Make me think that you like me because everybody's going to love the football star, right? (laughs) Everybody's going to love the big man on campus. We did talk a security guard into uh, uh, achieving us some alcohol one night. Me and a buddy got some Bartles and James. Uh, We didn't split it equally, three and three. I was able to manage to get four, unbeknownst that I was even trying to do that, right? Um, But that was the only time. Um, got sick, but it was fun, felt good, graduated from the home. And I went to college and, uh, college was a party every night. And I found a fraternity that they wanted me to pledge. Right. I didn't pledge the fraternity. They came to me and said, you should join our fraternity. Okay. Here, have a beer. Okay. Here, have another beer. Right. And as long as the beers were being given to Greg, Greg drinks, all the time. Um, It was a pretty fast stint for the valedictorian of the high school to go into college and within a semester I was, because I was drunk every night, because it was free and it was being given to me and I always overdid it. I always overdid it. That's That's an important piece, right? We didn't understand, even though Greg took the are you an alcoholic test where I answered the 10 questions and I answered yes to eight of the 10, uh, that didn't send the message that I was an alcoholic then because I was just in college and that's what we do when we're in college. I didn't sh- read the fine print that said, if your fraternity brothers bring you into the office of the fraternity president and sit you down and tell you that, Greg, maybe you should slow down a little bit, that maybe, maybe one of those little check boxes on the alcoholic test had extra merit. Uh, but that did happen to me and I just kind of Lied like I always do and said, "Okay, all I got to do is calm it down for you to like me again." Okay, okay. So flunked out of school, right? So met my wife, got married, uh, started working hard to uh, to make achievements, right? And uh, there was no more drinking because I was no longer in a fraternity where they were supplying me alcohol. So my wife and I, we uh, we got married, and uh, then we got pregnant. We we dated for three years, got married for four years, then we had babies. So we'd been together for seven years, and we have babies. And, right, Greg's not drinking. The drinking was all that one semester in college. Uh, but it's important piece in my life to remember that when I had the opportunity to drink every single moment, I did. And then I blew that up around me like a tornado of destruction. And I get married and we're going to church and we're raising little kids and everything's fine. And every once in a while, maybe once a year, maybe once every couple of years, we would go to a, uh, uh, some kind of a party, New Year's Eve party, maybe a Christmas party. And if there was alcohol available, I would always do too much. I was always the one that would drink too much, uh, And then my wife would be like, hey, Greg, Greg, I I got this, I got this, whatever. Let me me show you how big my fish is. Uh, Every single time I drank, I drank alcoholic. Every time, without question. There were a couple of times I went out on a fishing boat with a buddy, right? And we had a six pack of beer and he drank three and I drank three and I caught a bigger fish than him and he caught a smaller fish than me and we had a wonderful time but that's not drinking, right? We only had six beers, we each drank three. If I had the opportunity to drink, if I went to a keg party, if there was an unlimited amount of alcohol, without question, every time I checked that checkbox that I drank too much. <laughs> I told you I'm a pretty good achiever. And so business was always pretty good for me. I'm a, a likable fellow, I guess I'm able to talk and move up in management with my company and they like what I do. And I got a big group of people that work for me and doing well. And uh, the company decides to move to Wichita, Kansas after a few years, after 10 years for me. And so, uh, buddy of mine and I say, hey, why don't we go get a job at, we'll be 911 operators. In six months, we'll be running the place, right? We come from a security alarm monitoring background for residential homes. Let's move into the private sector, he says, or the public sector. So it worked out for me, right, that he couldn't deal with the daily law enforcement training involves every single day they sit you down and they tell you what you did wrong and uh, and not everybody's psyche can handle that. My buddy couldn't. so he he washed out. but i I was great. I was thirty three years old and realized I'm not too old to be a cop. I don't have to be a nine one one operator. Why don't I go to the police academy and do that? I had a wonderful time. And in the police academy, we started doing these little study sessions. and one of the one of the guys that was in my class, you know, I was thirty three. He was probably twenty-three, right out of college, a little rich boy, and he had his fancy little apartment that his grandparents had set up for him, and gave him a, a, a credit card. And when he got his own place, he always had this dream that he'd have his own bar, and he had this cool little circle bar that spun around, and all the all the bottles, you know, were poured down. And we would come over to these study groups for the the police academy, and there was like. 15 different cities that were part of my academy class and we would bring eight to ten guys over to this house and they were studying and i would make them up all these little study cards Uh, of course i graduated first of my class you probably already knew that right so i also organized the study classes and then i started hitting these bottles of this guy and he's like sure sure anybody want to drink have a drink have a drink we're here to study well not only did greg want to drink greg wanted two um so i would i started sneaking in there like oh yeah it'd be you know hey do you got any avocados in this refrigerator I'd use the refrigerator door to block while i top off my rum or whatever and then and then i started scheduling more and more study classes i look back on that now and realize wow That's where it started. I actually got a special award in the police academy for helping all these wankers pass because my class had more people pass on average than any other academy class before us. And they said it was due to my, my, uh, my study groups. And it's so crazy now to think that those study groups were all selfish, self-centered. How can I get myself over, over to Robert's apartment? Oh, Schedule a study class. Well, we already have a study class on Tuesday, Greg. Why do we need one on Wednesday? Well, you know, because traffic two is a big test. I graduated, you know, still dreaming of studying. Go to my city and they put us through a new academy class. (laughs) this academy class is just the four of us from my city and they're going to retrain us well they 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 told you how they do things now we're going to tell you how we do it. it's another three months of intense study one of the things that they asked us to study was this book and this book was labeled i love a cop and in this book i love a cop it's written from a wife's perspective of what it's like to be married to a young up-and-coming police officer, all the pitfalls and the depression and the crazy things that they're dealing with and yada, yada, yada. One of the chapters was called Alcoholism. Short to the point, don't do it, right? Avoid alcohol. Don't use alcohol as a crutch. Don't use alcohol to help your depression. Some cops believe that vodka is the least smelling of all the... The vodka right? It sends a message to me immediately. I'm 33 years old, right? Every time I've drank, I've drank alcoholically, but I haven't really drank a whole lot, right? Failed out of college in six months, orchestrated eight study tests, got drunk four or five times at New Year's Eve parties. And I read this book and go, Why don't I just go buy alcohol myself? (laughs) Okay, fast forward 15 years later, right? That was a shit show from the beginning. Once I came up with the idea to buy the alcohol myself, I actually went, when I had the idea to do it, I went straight to the liquor store that day after work. I'm still wearing a full-on policeman's uniform, dark blue polyester with yellow piping down my legs. I take off my shirt, my my bulletproof vest. I go in with a white t-shirt on and I'm going to go buy a bottle of vodka. Nervous that somebody's going to see this yellow piping down my, my pants and know that those are policeman pants. So that job ends pretty quick, right? I start drinking right away. I say, I don't like being out on the street. I didn't like patrol. I went back into the nine one one center where I could, Manage that group as the as the supervisor, kind of the the sergeant over the nine one one world, and I was able to manage there for about three years before the drinking. Finally, had somebody come in the door and say, "Hey, Greg, can you uh, come and blow in this whole tube for us?" And uh that was in October of two thousand and six. I lost my first job due to drinking, but by this point, I was already drinking every day and I couldn't stop, and would wonder, like, how is this ever going to stop? I don't really want to keep drinking. Oh, but now I have this demoralizing event. I lost my job with the city as the police, right? People may not like the police right now, but back then, this was this was during 9-11 days, right? Everybody loved that Greg was police, and we were going to church, and everything was great, and my little life was great, and I found that I just love that feeling of of alcohol running through my body with my brain going thum fum, thum fum. And there were a lot of bad incidences. And I was always sneaking, never drank at a bar, always drank one pint a night. The nights that I would buy the 750 bottles, those were the nights that shit would go crazy, right? Those were the nights that spaghetti got thrown on the walls and people were told they were fat and that I didn't love them anymore and that I'm never going to be your friend. Um, but if I kept it to just a pint, right, that's, that's how I thought I was managing my life. And, um, things worked out pretty good for me in business. When I left the police force, went back to what I was doing before. Now I had all these great credentials behind my name. So in a way it was better. Speaking at national security conferences, I get a company out in Charlotte, North Carolina, that asked me to go to lunch. I know what that means. So they paid me a whole bunch of money, give me a corner office, move my family out here to the Carolinas. We live out in a little country town in Clover, South Carolina, loving life. I fixed this company's all their problems, right? And uh, but that's when I started drinking, not just when I got off work. I started drinking at three o'clock to get ready to get off work. And then if I'm going to drink at three o'clock, I might as well drink it lunch. Right. And then that progression, it was about a three year deal, but it finally progressed to where I was just drinking in the mornings, uh, get drunk right away on the way to work. (laughs) Didn't care. What the liquor stores thought of me. (laughs) I was there to buy alcohol. Went every day at 9.59 a.m. and waited for the door to open. And and so eventually that job was lost to me. And it was a demoralizing event. What am I going to do? Let's go to AA. Let's go to AA and get out of trouble. Change our life. Well, it worked. It worked. I went to AA. I was sad. These people accepted me. They wanted me to be their friend. Uh, they seemed to like me. They gave me all 12 steps on the wall. When I came in, I read all 12 steps. I actually took all 12 steps. Everybody was telling me, Oh, you need to go to a 90 minutes in 90 days. You need to get a big book. You need to read the doctor's opinion. And then, Oh, well, no, you need to read pages 86, and 87. And then, and then I didn't hear none of that. Cause the, cause your secret code was on the wall, and I'm going to take your secret code. Step one, admit it. Oh, I'm an alcoholic. Okay, step two. It. Oh, I raised my hand in church when I was 12. I... Step three, I've already turned it over. I told you I raised my hand. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral. I know who I am. I've admitted to God. Yeah, okay, I already know God. Yeah, 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 I got that. Right, I was able to go through all 12, and if I didn't fully understand it, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming, Greg. We're so glad you keep coming back, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got a freaking white chip that I get to take home. I get to take home to my wife and say, look at me. <laughs> freaking white chip. White chips meant something to me, though. It got me out of trouble. And I started seeing that I couldn't stop drinking. Every time I had the opportunity to um Win the battle, kind of like when our friend Jim was sitting at a diner wondering if he should put some whiskey and some milk after he had a full stomach. He said, "I had the sneaky suspicion of what I was doing was none too smart." All right, I've had the sneaky suspicion that what I was doing was none too smart a lot. Bill, I mean uh, Jim, answered his question with, "Well, I got a full stomach, and it's with milk." I answer my question with, I'm just going to be careful, right? That was the 10-year question that kept me running and gunning. Every time I had the opportunity to get a little bit of alcohol, I would say, "Nope, don't do it. This is bad. This is bad for you. We've checked that box. We know it's bad. Well, we're just going to be careful today. Okay, let's be careful. All right, careful never, careful never happened. And then in the next morning, Cunning, baffling, powerful. I was having the let's be careful speech again. I was able to stay one year sober, coming to meetings, had a sponsor, not sharing, just sitting and listening. Life was crumbling around, didn't know what I was going to do. And I picked up one year of sobriety and, uh, the club threw me a party. My family threw me a party. They had balloons. They made me They've made me letters. It was way better than just showing them a white chip. They wrote me cards about how special I was and how strong I was and how proud they were of me. And the next day, I'm driving down the road thinking I'm all that, right? Because I, they threw me a party. I'm like, man, a party for what? A party for not drinking. Wow. Not drinking. You never can drink again. Huh, man. I'm never going to feel a sense of ease and comfort from just a single beer. You know, not going crazy and drinking them all. Just never going to feel a sense of ease and comfort of just that single beer. Well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could feel the sense of ease and comfort from just a single beer. I don't know, I'm not going to do anything stupid. So I pull into a QT and, uh, of course, I don't call anybody. I mean, let's think about it. This is my the day after my one year anniversary. They just threw me a party, gave me cards telling me how wonderful I am for one year of sobriety. Who am I going to call? I could call I could call customer service for AT and T, and say, "Hey, my friends and family just threw me a one year sobriety party yesterday, and I'm sitting in the parking lot of QT thinking I'm just going to go in and buy one beer." What do you think about that? No, we we think that's a bad idea for you, Greg. Of course they would. And of course you would, and my sponsor would, but I'm smarter than all these people, especially the AT&T customer service people, right? Anybody that would think, what do you mean? But Greg's gonna be careful. First day after my one year anniversary. I walk in there and I buy a single beer because I want to taste, feel the ease and comfort. Well, of course I didn't buy a single beer. I bought a freaking single monster, 24 ounce, 14% alcohol, right? The biggest one I could get. Drank it, got in the car, felt wonderful. Oh, it felt wonderful. I did this. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not even 10 minutes down the road. I'm pulling into another cute. And then I'm 10 minutes down the road going home. I pull into another QT. Then I get home and nobody's home. So I run down to the convenience store, buy two more and run back. End up asked out, passed out, blacked out, right? Nobody could figure out why did you do it? And I don't know. I don't know. I call my sponsor up and say, you know, I've been saying I've been dragging my feet on that fourth step. Well, I just ran out and blacked out. So I'm going to do that fourth step. He's like, what do you mean fourth step? You're not on the fourth step. You just woke up out of a blackout and you call me to tell me you're going to work on your fourth step you're not even on the first step oh well f you <laughs> if i'm not even on the first step then i'm gonna keep drinking <sighs> and this was a pretty rough three years this is a pretty rough three years um i never had access to credit cards wallets keys you know i'm uh, mischievous i would make up lies that the lawnmower needs um gas so i could get out i lost that privilege but i could go to AA meetings and (laughs) AA meetings had a hand sanitizer and i learned that i could steal their hand sanitizer and drink it and it felt just like well it's ethyl alcohol right i'm not an alcoholic i'm an ethanolic anything that has ethanol in it is is uh, right up my alley and uh and it i would bounce around AA rooms um I stole their hand sanitizer on Wednesday so I'm not gonna go back until right crazy but then I have the idea that wait if I can steal from a AA meeting like why don't you just go steal from freaking Dollar Tree or CVS right like I don't have these ideas I didn't even know I could drink hand sanitizer until I was listening to two of my friends argue on Facebook and to win the argument, one of them said, "Shut up! Why don't you go drink your hand sanitizer and leave us alone? Handsan—you can drink. You can drink hand sanitizer, right? Same thing with the book in the police academy. What? Don't drink alcohol. Don't drink vodka, right? See how I'm programmed? Well, it—it uh, it got pretty bad, and uh, I damn near died. My family was." Uh, traveling and I was always in a always coming to a because I had to keep coming and picking up these white chips because I felt it made me look like I was trying to get out of trouble family went to Disney World and left me home alone on the couch and uh that's when I had the the death wobble of I'm either gonna die or I'm gonna die right something's gonna change or something's gonna change uh I couldn't get I didn't know why I couldn't stop drinking right? It wasn't because I grew up in an orphanage. It wasn't because I was sexually molested. It wasn't because I was physically abused. It wasn't because I didn't have family. It wasn't because nobody was my friend. It wasn't because the neighbors are parking four, four cars out front of their house, making me wonder why they're doing it, right? I didn't know why I couldn't stop drinking, but I had all these check boxes of issues that I could bitch about. Everybody wanted me to stop drinking. My wife, the job, the kids, right? I didn't even start drinking until my kids were eight, seven, and five. So imagine that life. My kids got to go all through junior high and high school. Freaking tornado. I finally had to do it for me. Two drunks come walking into my house. I'm sitting in the same chair for three days while my family's in Disney World. They come walking in and I'm laid out. They tell me they got a bed for me at a treatment center. And I'm like, I can't go to a treatment center. I got, I got certain security clearances and classifications within my job that won't allow treatment of alcoholism on my docket, which is true. They don't want to hear that. They're like, no, 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 you can't. And I'm like, well, damn, they're not even listening to me. Well, F you. So I just start acting drunk. So they'll leave right? Still manipulating the situation on the final day. They want me to go to a bed. I tell them I can't go to a bed. They won't listen to me. So I just start acting drunk, right? It takes me about four minutes of acting so drunk that they're like, well, there's nothing we can do for him. Maybe one day, maybe one day, he knows where we're at and they leave. I still remember them saying that as they walked out, right? That was the final straw. Woke up, ran down to the convenience store, got me a little bit of alcohol to start the two-day detox process. Uh, It woke me up. I wasn't no longer doing it for my wife or my kids or their job or the police or the child custody suit or the nursing license or, or or the, or the, or the, or the, I was doing it for Greg. I've always been good at being selfish self-centered. Why don't you do this to stay alive, Greg? Cause you've checked enough boxes to know that you can't freaking stop drinking and you don't know why, but you've been hanging around these people to steal their hand sanitizer and get their white chips for long enough. Why don't you truly humble yourself and do it? So I did, I did. I went in there and I, picked up the white chip. And I said, like I said a million times before, but this is the real one. This, this one means something this time. Thankfully for me, it did. It did. I came in with a lot of baggage, a lot of fears, a lot of things about religion uh, believed in God. Cause I was told I had to, and uh, there was a fear base of not wanting to go to hell that I was inherently given. As a child, right? Don't sit too close to the TV, you hurt your eyes. The only route for the Dallas Cowboys, don't cross the church or they'll or you'll go to hell. Uh, all these little tales that just grow up is well, why is that? Well, that's just the way it is. If you sit too close to the TV, oh, okay, right. And I never questioned it, but I remember that they always told me that God is so big, they'll never begin to even uh, understand it. So I couldn't understand the God that I was afraid of, the God that only wanted to get me, the God that, well, I prayed for a new Corvette, what'd that get? I started listening to the people in the rooms talk about their God. Tree trolls, spirit of the universe, doorknobs that have to be opened group of drunks what would they think what would they do right started thinking about different concepts i had to have something because when i go back in the deepest recesses of greg and think about what should i do next the first hurdle that i have to get over is me because when i want to do something next it's so you like me so you'll be my friend. So I'll be helpful. Oh, okay. Now we're on to something, Greg. So I'll be helpful. All right, let's start pushing over into that, right? I already know how to evaluate every situation in a nanosecond about what I can get out of it. But I need a way to start bringing this God thing because I just can't go, Dom, God is good. And God come over me. I gotta be thinking, right? I gotta be thinking. And and worship isn't thinking for me. I gotta think, what's the next right thing, right? What would the group of drunks say? They would tell me not to drink, okay. Okay, well, I can get along with that. Well, what else? Well, they, they tell you to help others. They tell you to stop thinking about yourself. They tell you to be nice, Greg, share your toys. Oh, well, that sounds like what grandma taught me way back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You forgot how to be a human. Well, that, that's what Bert and Ernie taught me on Sesame Street. That's right. Be nice. Share your toys. Wait your turn to talk. Keep your hands to yourself. Just make friends. Okay. I, you know, nobody ever taught me how to be a self selfish, self-centered a-hole. But they did try to teach me to be nice, keep your hands to yourself, wait your turn to talk. Right? Grandma taught me that. Kindergarten teacher taught me that. So I was able to start applying that concept as my higher power. You know, in the morning, I wake up and go, here we go again. Here we go again. But I don't stop and pray about, here we go again. I just make a statement. Here we go again. There's a lot that that means to me. My head works fast. Here we go again, lays it all out in front of me. That's right. Here we go again. We're going to do the same thing we did yesterday. We're going to be nice. We're going to keep our hands to ourselves. We're going to share our toys. We're going to try to make friends. We're going to try to be helpful. I still hurt a lot of people's feelings. I do things wrong, but I don't intentionally go out of my way to hurt your feelings anymore, right? I've got a sense about me that I can look at what is the next right thing in every aspect of my life if I choose to think of it, right? God... A.A., people like you, the fellowship has given me a new way to evaluate every situation. I'm walking down the street and there's a mud puddle. Do I want to step in it? Well, let's put it through the test. Are we being nice? Eh? Maybe that doesn't apply. Sometimes it's fun to step in a mud puddle. Sometimes it's not appropriate. I'm all dressed up today, right? Today would not be the day that I step in a mud puddle, right? I don't like rules. I don't like regulations. I'm a control freak. I find meetings that give me what I need. I found this meeting several months ago because it gave me what I needed. It helps me through my rules and my regulations and my control, right? I'm the kind of guy that's, what do you mean you're supposed to dress up when you're the speaker? I'll show Mm -hmm. you. I'll wear my Speedo. No. This is Greg 2.0. This is Greg SC right here. I think it's stupid that you would dress up to be a speaker. What? Like I'm sitting in my house. Why do I have to wear a tie? Because there's one person in the room that may have an issue with, they were told way, way back when they were cleaning ashtrays that speakers are supposed to dress up. So if I show up dressed up, they're going to be like, good, that guy gets it. That guy gets it. He knows he's supposed to. If I show up and I'm not dressed up, there may be somebody in the room and go, why did that guy not dress up? Doesn't he know any better? But see, if I dress up, nobody's going to question the guy that wants me to dress up, he got me dressed up. You have no clue of why I dressed up or not, if it doesn't matter to you, right? But in my head of heads, where I'm planning everything out, thinking it all through, I don't want to cause waves. I don't like that you have rules in place on me, right? Oh, I, I got—I can't show my camera. I can't chat to the people I want to chat to. I can't hit my smoke. Or I can't talk without first saying I'm an alcoholic right, all this structure uh, gets to me, I get nervous and scared within the structure, because I want, I want more, I want more structure, I want a label, I did my fourth step years ago, and and my sponsor read through it, mom, dad, brother, sister, him, blah, 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 and then at the bottom, he goes, vegetarians, <laughs> what? what kind of problem you got against vegetarians, Greg, Right? Vegetarians were down there with backseat drivers, vegetarians. There was a political party on there. He's like, vegetarians? Like, yeah, man, I just don't like vegetarians. They, they just can't talk without talking about vegetarians. Like, I don't like them. Like, he leads me down this rabbit hole only to find out that him and his wife are vegetarians. Huh. But God gives me a freaking vegetarian sponsor for me to learn. What I did learn is it's not about vegetarians. It's about Greg not wanting to be different. Greg wants a label. He doesn't have the vegetarian label. Somebody says, I'm a vegetarian. I immediately shut down. Well, I want to be a vegetarian, but I don't want to be a vegetarian. I I want to eat meat, but yet I want the label that you have because I want to be like you and fit into your group. Always worried about if I fit in. I learned more about myself and my character defects with my resentment towards vegetarians than all the other resentments in my portfolio because it really showed me the inner depths of who I was, why I think what I think. The fact that I don't care how you eat, I just want your label. I just want to feel bad about myself because I don't have the label that you have. Right? I don't have a problem with vegetarians today, but it holds true. Right? I get nervous about the guy that has a big long introduction to his my name is Greg and I'm a supreme alcoholic of all alcoholics of the world and all the alcoholics meet with me because I'm an alcoholic too. And we love one another checks. Right. And then every freaking day I hear that. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't have a, a walk-up song. They're like, I'm Greg SC. I'm an alcoholic. Right. My sponsor don't like sometimes that I use it and I'm Greg SC. I'm like, but I am Greg SC. I am Greg SC. Greg. Is the other guy that lives in this house. Greg SC is the guy that's aware. Aware about what he's doing, when he's doing it, that he's trying to be nice, trying to be of service. Greg can get out on a limb. Sometimes my friends will go, I need to talk to Greg SC. Boom, immediately. Because I know who Greg SC is. And it don't take long for me to put it through a filter and say, am I being nice? Am I trying to be a control freak? Am I trying to be the big man? Is my fish bigger than yours? Right? If I stop and pause at any moment and put it through that filter, I invariably end up laughing at myself. I'll call my sponsor, right? But Greg, I thought we made a decision. No, oh, I know, I know. I know we did. But Greg, we don't act that way no more. I know, I know. But they have a timer. <laughs> but Greg, we don't care about timers. But they flashed something up on the screen that said, welcome to the newcomer, and it distracted me. But Greg, we're not worried about being distracted. But what if they noticed that I was distracted? But Greg, we don't think that way no more. But the timer turned red. But Greg, I thought we already talked about the timer, right? All these things that are constantly going through my head is I don't wanna break your rules, but I do wanna break your rules, right? I want to adhere to your rules. I don't want to adhere to your rules, I should say. But I do. It's this balance of I want to be a cowboy. I want to be the outskirts, right? I always fit in with the misfits, right? Those are the people that I thought I wanted to fit in with, even though I wasn't trying to fit in with anybody. I was always worrying if I fit in with you. And it was always the misfits. Imagine that. Imagine that. So I don't wanna break your rules, but I do. I go around, whoa, speed limit says 55. That means I can get seven miles an hour over. before. I've learned a lot from this meeting, from this group. I've learned a lot from the squares that I attend. I attend a meeting every morning at 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. on the weekends. It's a home group for me. I got sober just before Zoom. So I, have a, I am heavy, heavy duty into Zoom. It's changed my life, being available for people, dressing up when I need to, sharing my experience, hope that somebody can relate, that uh, maybe I can give you a little hope, because I do hope for everybody. have no hope for me. There's no hope for me. No, my hope is for you, because when I hope for you, I'm helping you. I'm worried about you, and when I'm worried about you, things seem to work out better for me, so I don't sit back and hope for me. Just sit back and hope for you. And then your hope pours through me. It worked yesterday. I'm guessing it's going to work again today. I'll do the same thing tomorrow. Thank you for helping me stay sober. And that was another fantastic speaker from AA Solution Seekers online group. Thank you so much for joining us as we continue to bring you great speaker one after another from Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Lisa. Thanks for joining us.